You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and this is Love Period, a podcast about how to love ourselves, our posse, and the world fiercely on the way to making the world better. My guest today is Father Richard Rohr. He's the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation, a Franciscan, a priest, and my friend. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I am so excited today to have with me my friend, Father Richard Rohr. Richard, welcome. Well, it's so delightful. I mean that (laughs) sincerely. We've worked together too many times now not to be relaxed with one another. Thank you. It's a joy. How have you been feeling? How are you doing? You know, I think I'm okay. My cancer is in remission and uh, at my age that's something to be grateful for yeah so i i just take my little nap the middle of the day <laughs> as long as i have my little nap i'm okay you're good to go <laughs> richard you're you're in in the desert um and and i i wonder what it's been like for you this whole year where so many things shut down did you have a different feeling about covid being kind of already uh, living in a hermitage and you know, what was that like for you? That's it. I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. I, you're seeing uh, almost the whole of my little house right here. So I was used to living as a hermit. I mean, that's a misnomer, really. I'm mixing with people. But at least it tells people that I'm not going to accept every social invitation that comes my way. So I try to protect a certain amount of quiet. And it really did make the uh, pandemic year easy and even good even good because i didn't have to apologize for it you know yeah (laughs) i'm not coming and i'm not apologizing (laughs) seriously richard though this place of quiet uh for you you know when i get your i get your email in the mornings and i read what you're putting in the world and it is often uh to, to be honest with you uh, the most quiet part of my day, the quietest part of my day, oh, is waking funny. up and list and listening to your voice in those meditations. Wow! Does that make me happy? It's really Thank true. You. Thank you, Jackie. You're welcome. Yeah. And how, how about you? What's the what's the quietest part of your day? Well, it's not reading my own meditation, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly is that first hour where I make my coffee. And uh, morning in the desert is quite beautiful. Yeah. You hear the birds easily. I have a little deck here on the side, and I often sit out there. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that, really. And so, Richard, when, you, when you're out there and you're drinking your coffee and the birds are singing and you get to look at mountains, you know, what, what are the – what are the ways your soul is sustained? I just, you're such a beautiful uh, poet in my mind, the way you speak about things. Could you just describe for people the way the quiet, the beauty restores your soul? How does it restore your soul? Uh, Here's what comes to mind in the moment. It's the ability to let one thing in its singularity be important, be beautiful, be good, be enough even. And that ability to to let one thing shine 
Hmm. What happens if I can do do that? Then the rest of the day shines too. You know, I would say the personal is the way to the universal. Mm-hmm. You can uh, personally get in a relationship with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, then from that, the same seeing, I'm able to carry out to everything else. Yeah. yeah. So it's singularity and the beauty of singularity. So the singularity of one beautiful thing. Yes. that And the gratuity of it. Why? We have little lizards here in my yard. And why that lizard? Will I be the only human being ever to look at it, Hmm. ever to rejoice in it, and to ask God the question, why did you create that? Oh, that's good. (laughs) Such an unusual little thing. My little dog, Opie, here. He, uh, unfortunately, doesn't like lizards, so I have to yell at him when he runs after them. <laughs> Leave the lizards alone. Richard, your, your, your beautiful book um, on, on Universal Christ, um, you, I, I feel like you're saying what you're saying now, that everything is, an, everything is anointed, everything is there you go. loved, everything is good, right? You know, it sounds like a Pollyanna naive statement. But if, if that isn't the meaning of a good God who created all things, I mean, just hear those words. That was at least basic Catholic catechism. This isn't uh, some new revolutionary idea. Or, or the first chapter of Genesis says four times, as you know, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. Very good. It says the fifth time. And then we come along and we're shocked. I think, Jackie, this gave the human ego an out Hmm. to decide who was good and who wasn't good, Hmm. what was sacred and what wasn't sacred. I don't think creation has given us that luxury. It's not up to me to decide who's good and who's not good. Just that's been taken away from me by the creation itself. And that's why the early Franciscans, uh, which I am a a later Franciscan, uh, called uh, creation the first Bible. Ooh, I didn't remember that. That's great. The first Bible is creation itself. The second Bible comes 13.6 billion years later. And that's not to put it down, but it's to put it in context. Mm, yeah. What a beautiful thing! When you when you say that, Richard, it, it makes me think about um, this text in Romans uh, wow. where Paul where Paul says, "All of creation oh, is yeah. waiting, oh, yeah. like like a woman in childbirth, yes. for the revealing of the children of God." Don't yeah. you love that? <laughs> in one great act of giving birth, yeah. Oh my oh, God, I love if, that. If Paul wrote nothing else than Romans eight. He would be first rate. Yeah. That's right. That's all we need. Is, That's is all we need. Romans eight. Romans eight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard, your um, you know your thought of the focusing on one beautiful thing. What we're talking about now makes me think about um, honestly love of self. Right. I'm thinking about the Very love good. of self. Very good. But you know, it, we are created. Very good. We are the children of God. Revealed that creation is waiting to see, but so many human beings don't really get taught, Richard, to love 
ourselves. Our, our holy book says, love your neighbor as yourself, but we don't love ourselves. What? Tell me, how did you get to love yourself? Well, first I had to do some unlearning. That in my moral early training, my goodness was not uh, given by God. It was achieved by my own moral perfection, mm. which is a task you can never perfectly live up to. Right. So you always feel, well, I failed again to be yeah. perfect or to love uh, as I should love. So uh, I had to unlearn a lot of that. And that's why I think really theology became so important to me. Because <laughs> without good theology, you invariably imbibe a lot of bad theology, you know? Right, right. And, and some of the Christian traditions, you know, have the human being being inherently bad. I, I don't know how you undo that. I really don't know if you're inherently bad and you have to earn your goodness. You've dug a pit so deep, it's very hard to ever get out of it. So I, I, I was able to do this because I did have two loving parents. <laughs> that gives you a great head start. Yeah. That those first gazes you received were were delighted in your presence. Oh yeah. As a little boy. Yeah. Um and then I think I had enough good friendships along the way that said, yes, this is true. You're good. But I don't think I could have self-generated it. Mm -hmm. You know, just pulled myself up by my own bootstraps by repeating the mantra, Richard, you're good. Richard, you're good. There's a place for that. And maybe that helped. But it was largely, I think our identity is contagious. Mm -hmm. We need mm. other people and God to tell us we're good. I and think that, that's right. And we need to get mirrored, as we call it. Yep. That's so true, Richard. When I was working on my book, um, Fierce Love, and I was thinking about the importance of mirroring, just what you say. You know, did you've got your, you've you. got, yeah, you've got your parents showing you, like they, you look at them and you see back, I'm wonderful. I'm, they delight in me. They love yeah, me. They see me. Yeah. Um, we, my daughter in law, Gabby, I write this in the book. She's 37 ish and has two little babies. So the babies are looking to her. Mommy, do you see me? You know, look, look what I did. Yes, look, I yes, did it. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but also Gabby at 37 loves for us to observe for her. You're such a great mom or oh, you're a great teacher, oh. right? Oh, we never oh. grow out of our need mm. for that. The, the gaze of love mm -hmm. yeah, and delight. That's great. The gaze of love and delight. So in a world where clearly, clearly, um, there's so much pain, heartache, mm -hmm. structural racism, growing anti-Semitism. Oh, my God, right? Um, strife, struggle. What, if you were, you know, able to speak to the multitudes, which you do, the words that would make them know how important the self-love is on the way to love neighbor? Like, what would you say? Yeah, you know, one thing that I think all of the world religions, not just Christianity, but all of the religions have come to some similar conclusions 
about this essential self. The yep. ge generic word for that is your soul. Mm -hmm. And your soul is considered eternal, created by God, and already good. Mm -hmm. So uh, whatever I can do to make people awaken, you can't create that true self, your soul. Mm -hmm. you, you awaken it. Oh, that's good. It's mm -hmm. already there. It's already there. In fact, you awaken it by calling upon it. Hmm. By, by drawing upon it, it, it becomes real. Hmm. If you spend your whole life dismissing it or doubting it, I don't have a soul. I am not the child of God. I am not inherently good. It doesn't grow. It, right. ne it needs to be dialogued with, invited, trusted, loved. Use hmm. any word you want. Uh, and that's the spiritual life. Oh, that's right. It, it, that's that, right. Is that dialogue with yourself, which uh, another word for that is prayer, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. No. Richard, has there ever been a time once you got the, once you got free of, let's say, the bad theology, or has there ever been a time when you lost the sense of loving yourself and had to regain, regain it, get it back? I would say many times where I've gone just for months even, usually when I was filled with myself, hmm, hmm. filled with my own uh, importance or grandiosity or like I would, this is embarrassing to admit, but in the last months before my ordination, it's hmm. like a, a giggly girl before her wedding. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I wasn't here. I was going to be ordained, but I was thinking all about myself. Mm. Oh, what do my family want? And what is the setting? And will the bishop give a decent sermon, which he didn't? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was only when in the quiet after it all, you know, I haven't been present to God at all the last few mm. weeks. I've just been self-preoccupied. Hmm. So you you lose it, and it's like um, forgetting an earlier love affair. Yeah. How did I lose that? It was so good. So what yeah. Was, what was the path back, Richard? What was the path back? Uh, again, something had to make me touch upon the magic, the uh, mm -hmm. the intimacy, the um, maybe it was a need. Uh, for mercy or forgiveness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, or self-forgiveness very often. Uh, yeah, it, it had to be a moment of gratuity, of grace mm -hmm. uh, that was undeserved. And mm -hmm. then when I would sit in that undeservedness, mm -hmm. say, why, why? Why did she smile at me? Why did he do that for me? Mm -hmm. uh, the gratuity of life would always pull me back. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I That's hope. so good. That's so good. That's so helpful. So this is a this is a question I ask a priest, right? We um I'm always thinking about that 
that love of neighbor, love of self, you said it also in community, we are who we are. Our identity is being made in community. People mirror to us who we are. Yeah. And we, and we, yeah. and, and Richard, you know, those of you who, who serve in the Catholic priesthood have a different kind of intimate community than some of us who marry yeah. and yeah. raise kids. Could you just say a little bit about how that, how your posse, how your community yeah. Uh, shows up for you as as love. You know how how does that show up for you as love? Do you have an hour? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I do. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I think a very small percentage of males have the charism, and you know the definition of a charism of celibacy. Mm-hmm. It is a free gift. Mm-hmm. And it's given to you not for your own sake, but for the sake of the community. For It, it isn't a, a skill. It's okay. a gift. Hmm. It's not a developed skill. Hmm. Because I think a lot of uh, priests, celibates, uh, uh, particularly on the male side, I find a lot more sisters, women, seem to be able to maintain a sweetness, a gentleness, Hmm. Uh, givenness, they can live their celibacy better because they can cry with one another, touch hmm. one another, talk hmm. to one another. Hmm. The male psyche is so damn isolated and hmm. insulated. Mm-hmm. And um, so an awful lot of male celibates, I don't want to hurt anybody's feeling, but I think we're playing a role hmm. by willpower. And Christian morality is not willpower. It's grace. It's charism, you know? And um, so I've certainly had and have right now uh, about, you know, a city block from me here, uh, four or five Franciscans live. One is black, one is Puerto Rican, one is Hispanic, one is gringo, (laughs) as we call it. <laughs> Ninth Heaven International Community. Yeah. Uh, and I go over there and they're always very nice to me. But uh, I, I can't have talks like I'm having with you right now. Hmm. Men just don't talk that way, damn it. They, hmm. We don't talk that way to one another, even hmm. in religious life. Hmm. I'm sorry, that's our term for this. Yes. Celibate state. Uh, Now there's individuals, but even there sometimes you're afraid to do it in the presence of others Hmm. because it will feel like a judgment on the others. Hmm. You sit there and you talk about God or love or your Hmm. prayer life or intimacy. You almost have to go apart. Wow. I'm ashamed to say that. And that's among uh, a Franciscan community who are good men, but we're still men and we're still Americans. Hmm. Pragmatists, problem solvers, doers, hard workers, but beers. I don't think the contemplative dimension really got developed enough. You know, you've heard that saying, uh, I won't say it right, but 
culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, culture eats religion for breakfast too. Mm-hmm. It really does. Culture wins out. If you don't find some way to find your religious center every day, mm-hmm. you'll you'll be in short order more an American than a Christian. Um, that that I, that is sounds really true. That's really it, true. It is, yeah. yeah. That's true. And I've been a priest fifty-two years now. I feel I've earned the right to pass over the fruits of my observation. And they don't realize it's happening, but it does. Love period will continue in a moment. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. What what's your prayer for your posse of priests? What's your prayer for these men, these men, these religious men, or or the spiritual men, or just the men who are Christians in America? What's your what would you hope that men would find, Richard? As you know, I gave those initiation rites up here at Ghost Ranch for many years, male initiation rites. <clears throat> And the the first day of historic initiation was helping the young male die to his natural egocentricity. As long as this separate, superior self is in charge, (laughs) you'll never be a spiritual person. (laughs) You'll play the game of religion. You'll do the works of religion. But the real inner journey doesn't happen. So until there's been some kind of major death to the ego, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> uh, God will, it'll happen in your life, usually more toward the middle of life, but a major failure, humiliation, loss of job, loss of partner, uh, failure of marriage, death of a child. They're all horrible things to imagine. Uh but then it, this this thing that we take is so uh, important shows its fragility. Yeah. Shows its uh, unimportance. Yeah. That it can be shaken that much. Yep. And those are the only wise people I know. Now um, that's that's your initiation right. You didn't have to go through the the five-day experience I created, but just let life initiate you. Hmm. And and that only happens if you're listening. Let life initiate you. That that should be on a T-shirt. Yeah, well, it should. Now, you'll understand this. Women didn't have initiation rites historically. Hmm. In all the cultures of the world, they had fertility rites, 
and puberty rites, which served a completely different function. That was to tell the young girl, usually around the time of her first menstruation, what this seeming dying of her body, mm-hmm. this bloodletting, meant. Right. Huh? right, right. Now, if she had a good mother or women in her family to, to tell her, they told her, your body is a spiritual place where life is created. And everything was to give her body dignity and a fertility right. Don't give it away to the first boy who wants it. It's right. more important than that. So do you see the difference? The yeah. male fertility uh, uh, initiation rite pulled the boy downward into death. Mm. It pulled the girl upward into self-confidence. Hmm. Wow. They, they serve completely different functions. And I'm going to make a grand statement here. Many will consider an overstatement. But one reason I think we don't have a lot of elders, we have a lot of elderly people, but, but not a lot of elders in our yeah. culture, is we haven't sustained these rites of passage. Hmm. To make people into adult Christians, adult human beings. In other words, to use my language here, we haven't told males to step down a few notches, and we haven't told women to step up a few notches. If you hmm. think that's just my modern psychology, I used to have the men do this. We'd send them all to one of the four Gospels. Hmm. And I'd say, I'd like you to list... Every time Jesus relates to a man and every time Jesus relates to a woman, you'll be shocked. Hmm. He's always doing exactly that. He's telling men to come down out of the tree, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Or to get off their thrones, even the 12 apostles. But again and again, he's telling the woman, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, I it, love that. Isn't it? I mean, it's there. It's there, That's right there. in the yeah. four Gospels. Yeah. Yes, it is. But we didn't see it. One of my favorite uh, Jesus encounters with the women is the Canaanite woman or the, oh, yeah. you know, where she basically is like, ah, oh, I need you to heal my kid. And he's like, uh, yeah. this is this is not for you. It's not for the dogs. And she's like, uh, yeah. Even the dogs deserve the crumbs from the master's table. I think to myself, if the gospel writers were trying to do really great publicity on Jesus, they would have left that story out. But in fact, it's excellent publicity about Jesus, right? Go ahead. Will, Go willing, ahead. Willing, willing to have a tough conversation and willing to change his mind. And apologize. Hallelujah. And apologize. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 You have a male authority figure apologizing yeah. to a pagan as they would have thought exactly that's inferior right. woman so that's the right. stage is set for jesus to to admit he was wrong and yep. to admit she was right yep. yep and 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 therefore to increase his tribe there right? you go which is which is uh which is a part of what i what i'm doing in this book here is like the third piece of this is like how do we love each other so that we increase our tribe so that richard you and i know that we're inextricably connected you know as we are with the woman in the hijab as we are with the teenager who thinks they're trans you know we we are all each other's people 
wouldn't that make the world better? Oh, my. It's the only way out. Right? It's the only way out of the entrapment that we're in. What, it, what does it feel like when we imagine that the whole of humanity is our tribe, is our family? How, how would that be? Like, uh, oh, my God, what? What that else thing- would it be? <laughs> You know, I uh, I remember being, you know, fascinated by Dr. King's uh, we're inextricably connected, I think he says. And he says, I can't be fully who I am until you're fully who you are. Mm. And he's talking about this Ubuntu thing, this, you know. Yes, yes. South, right? South, this uh, South African Zulu uh, sense of what humanity means, Richard. Where do you where do you experience that kind of inextricable connection most in your world? You know, I think with people who are humble, people who who don't assume they're better, are right all the time, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are on top, and who need to. Uh, put others down. I just I just lose heart when I'm mm-hmm. around them. I, I want to say, why are you doing this to mm-hmm. yourself and to others? And then you'll meet a little humble, like a Down syndrome child, smiling at everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I know why Jesus talked about placing a little child and saying, this is it. Yeah. It, it can't depend upon sophisticated morality or sophisticated doctrine. It's just simple beingness. And uh, often people who can uh, communicate that simple beingness are uh, people who've been told they're unimportant because they can't hang on their laurels, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. They expect to be rejected. Now, I'm not encouraging us to treat people that way by any means, but so often they're the ones who are the easiest to talk to, the mm-hmm. easiest to be around. And I, I'm sure that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 25 when he talks about the least of yep. the brothers and sisters. Yeah, um, I think that's right. That's right. And it isn't the least because, you know, they're, they're conscribed to that. We, no, we, no, no. Human, yeah. human, human brokenness uh, causes us to treat each other that way. But I, I do think right. you're right that there's something really, something that happens on the margins, something yeah. that happens on the border yeah. where, where people cultivate something precious, something precious that is a lesson for all of us about how we can survive and thrive together. Does that, does that resonate? Drive. I like the expression, yes. Yep. We're trained to admire the person at the top. Mm-hmm. When, I mean, the counter-cultural message of Jesus is exactly the opposite, you know? That's right. To look at the person on the bottom and learn from them. Yep, that's <laughs> uh, true. Well, it is true. It really is, you know. There's a Alice Walker uh, oh, yeah. who, yeah, the kind of womanist definition. Um, I'm, I'm always thinking about, about uh, the way she says, you know, our tribe is, you know, all the people like yellow and brown and black and red, you know, they're all our cousins. And I do find Richard a, a kind of, I'm distressed some days about uh, 
the picking of sides, the choosing of, you know, the choosing of teams, the uh, contest all the time, the contest in the public square for who's best, who's smart, who wins. And you can't say, you know, um, oppressing Palestinians is wrong without somebody saying, well, that's anti-Semitic. As opposed, right? (laughs) As opposed to uh, the full-throated support of Jews and Palestinians. That's right. And who are children of God, the full throat right. Right? Yeah. of, 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 you know, blacks and Asians and Latinos, right. And indigenous people and white people, the full throated support. So we're not in some kind of oppression Olympics, but that we are really standing up for each other's dignity, right. And worth. That's my dream. Unless you love everybody. You really don't know how to love anybody. In other words, mm. love has not overtaken your heart and your being. Right. But once it has, you see that everything deserves it. Everything. Maybe for I love different that. reasons or in different ways. Yep. But as I said before, it's not up to us to pick and choose. That's right. What deserves love? Or we wouldn't come in as deserving ourselves. Amen. At least I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't either. (laughs) I think think Alice Walker writes beautifully, maybe in The Color Purple. I think she might have said, um, I realized that if I cut a tree, I would bleed. Isn't that beautiful? That's it. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. See, that's that's mystical, what we call non-dual knowing. Mm -hmm. That's a big word, I know. But let me describe it real simply. You were right on to it a moment ago. Most people think what it means to think mm-hmm. is to be given two alternatives, mm-hmm. Republican, Democrat, male, mm-hmm. female, black, mm-hmm. white, pick mm-hmm. the biggies, you know, and there make a choice. Mm-hmm. And you think, <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> so stupid. Why can't anybody believe it? That I, I choose one side and dismiss the other as wrong, inferior, inadequate. That's what all mystics know is not true. Mm-hmm. Why would that be smart? Mm-hmm. And people spend the rest of their life defending, uh, defending one side of the equation. Right. And this equation shows just endless forms, rich, poor, a handicapped, non-handicapped, there's mm-hmm. always those who deserve it yeah. and those who my eye says don't deserve it. Right. It puts it gives me a false sense of control. Right. But here's the easiest thing to say, you'll never be happy. You'll mm-hmm. never be happy cuz half the world mm-hmm. is a disaster <laughs> and you think it's your job to fix it, to change it or to kill it. Ooh. Yeah. Or to kill it. Hmm. These are the genocides of history. Wow. Richard, what do you know for sure about love? This must be a cliche, but uh, I know that when I give it, it bounces back to me. Now, that makes it a not very virtuous act it seems <laughs> who wouldn't do it if it's going to come my way yeah but if i wait for it 
to be given to me first, hmm. I don't know that I'll know how to receive it when it comes. Hmm. But if I give it gratuitously, unearned, hmm. oh, you can just see how it un unnerves the other party or the other person. Yeah. Where did that come from? Hmm. Where did that kindness or caring come from? And they almost don't know how to switch gears for yeah. a few moments. You got to give them time to switch gears. <laughs> but nine times out of 10, they will. At least they'll soften their tone. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as you don't publicly humiliate them, <laughs> people got to mean. People don't like that. Yeah. No, they like their <laughs> dignity. And so grant them their dignity. Uh, it's, it's a dance to learn how to love people, especially in any kind of social context, mm -hmm. because they're, they're covering all their bases. How do I look here? How do I look here? Yeah. How do I look there? Am I looking in control? Um, I don't know how else you learn that. And you know, this better than I by year. Opie. <laughs> There's a dog in the front yard, sure enough. If you give it gratuitously, mm -hmm. I didn't say that before. Maybe that's why the Spirit wants me to repeat it. Uh, if you give it only when it's earned, mm -hmm. it's not really love. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a transaction. You know? yep. sure. Okay, you've been nice to me, so I'll be nice to you back. Jesus says the same in the Sermon on the Mount. When you can, by the grace of God, give it when the other person has not deserved it. Mm -hmm. That's what unnerves them. Yeah. Now, that's not the reason you're doing it by any means. But nine times out of ten, you will see them soften, warm. Mm -hmm. Their gaze will become softened. Mm -hmm. uh, not always, but usually. Love transforms things, doesn't it? There you go. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like say it like you did. <laughs> <laughs> Love transforms. Whereas most of our relationships in our capitalistic culture are transactional. Yeah. They're not transformational. Yeah. With the checkout girl, with the, the guy on the subway, whatever it might be. Uh, and that has to be probably. But if we can take the time to even let those be yeah. moments, just little moments of intimacy or kindness or yeah. niceness or going the extra mile. Right. We've saved a soul. Amen. On, on some <laughs> level, on some level. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Richard, I am so excited that at the end of my sabbatical in September, I get to come and be with you. Yes. At the Conspire Conference. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it really is. You know, we started those seven years ago to communicate what they called the seven major themes that we taught here at our living school. Yeah. And this is the final summary one. So wow. that's why we, we 
had to have you come and talk at it. Well, I'm excited. When I when I saw the title, I mean, every time I've seen Conspire, and I haven't been able to come, but the the, the conspire, like the root of the words, right? To breathe with. Breathe right? with. To it. breathe with. Oh, my God. The final Breathe With conference that is happening September 24 to 26. Richard's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Um, Barbara Holmes. I love Barbara. Barbara Holmes. It's going to be there. Brian McLaren. Mirabai Star and James Finley. That's a big lineup. Yeah. So here we are with all of these amazing teachers um, gathering together um, in September, September 24 to 26, y'all who are listening. And um, we just really want you to be able to go to CAC.org where you can get your ticket for the final Breathe With Conspire Conference with Father Richard Rohr and the theme is living inside God's great story. Yes, the big story. How do we want to miss that? We don't. We don't. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go to cac.org and get your tickets. You can hang out with me and Richard and this amazing lineup of teachers. Unfortunately, it's still online. We just couldn't reserve the convention center at this late date. So That's okay because if it's online, It'll still be wonderful. You can you can like conspire in your pajamas. I mean, there who, you go. Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> so, we hope to see you there, Father Richard Rohr, my priest, my friend. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Well, you're just a delight. <laughs> Thank you. Make sure you tell everybody I'm a delight. <laughs> yeah, this was no burden whatsoever. It's a joy Thank to talk with you, you always. Exactly. Thank you so much. Like to talk with you. Thank you. Love is flowing through you. <laughs> Love, Love you. Love period is Corey Big, Paul Swanson, Izzy Spitz, Sarah Janzak, Jenna Kuiper, Sarah Palmer, Nicholas Kramer, and I'm Calissa Brewster. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is located in the heart of New Mexico thanks to the generosity of our supporters. We also have other podcasts you might like. You can find those wherever you like to listen by searching for Center for Action and Contemplation or visit us at cac.org to find out more about our other programs. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good.